You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 102 called 17 EdTech Tools for 2022. In this episode, Geist and I will discuss some of the EdTech resources that we think will be most valuable this coming year. We'll also share some of our own EdTech New Year's resolutions. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. Episode 102 comes with a new year. I'm pretty excited uh, to get 2021 thrown out of here. For me, it was not a memorable year in a way that I want it to be memorable. Uh, Nick, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing fine. It's nice as we're recording this, we're on uh, a winter break from school. So a little bit of relaxation time, but I feel the same way. I think everybody came into 2021, maybe even 2020. I can't remember. The past two years have been like a blur of things. But we kind of came into this year saying, finally, a new fresh year. And it didn't feel like a new fresh year. So I'm just hoping that 2022 can can do that and kind of give us a fresh start. We can put this stupid virus behind us, maybe finally, and and be uh, and be on with things. So we'll see how goes right right i know i know every year we we come up with our things that we're going to approve upon or new goals new initiatives those types of things what do you have as a professional goal going into 2022 and so many things that i've thought about over the past couple years and and we learned so many things last year doing a, a mix of you know hybrid teaching and remote teaching and and then just maybe some straight up in-person teaching too, which is what we've been dealing with now. But now we've got all this tech that's kind of mixed in and and I think everybody's trying to find their 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 footing again, right? There get their feet under under themselves to figure out how how am I supposed to teach now? What is this world? And maybe even now it's especially tricky because we are totally in person, but there's, you know, kids that are out for maybe a couple of weeks at a time because they ha- they got sick and they have to leave school or maybe they are joining from you know via a zoom from home so you just have one or two kids there it's just a weird time and it's a you know as a strange of a time as it is it it is a good for a lot of reflection so one of the things that I have been sort of thinking about is I don't know if I ever even in told you this but last year my AP chemistry students I was really worried about the AP chem exam because it was such a strange year with remote teaching and you know we had a, a baby so I was I was teaching from home and I had a classroom full of kids in school and they were just watching me over their Chromebooks. It was very bizarre. I didn't think it was going very well, but the AP Chem exam scores were some of my highest in years. Uh, Maybe since, you know, maybe the first three or four years that I was teaching the course, uh, the scores were really good and they've kind of dipped recently. But last year was fantastic again. And I've really been trying to figure out why that was on a year that I thought it was going to be, you know, a challenge, and maybe the scores would would dip because of the the learning difficulties. Kids did great. I was really trying to figure out what could be the cause of this, and it kind of made me wonder. I'm, I'm curious your opinion on this. Is a tech centric 
class or, or mine specifically, can it be too supportive and can that lead to negative outcomes? And here's what I mean. You know, I've always incorporated lots of tech. One of the main ways I do it is if the kid, if students are working on a digital worksheet, let's say, for pretty much any question on the worksheet, I have a little help link where if they get stuck, they can click the help link and I don't give them the answer, but maybe it's a video of me showing them how to start or an image of half of the problem worked out. Um, and I thought this was great. Like how awesome, you know, nobody will ever be confused again. But now I'm wondering if, if maybe that's, I don't want to say too nice, but too supportive in that it also leads to the kids never really having to think about how to start a, a challenging question on their own. You know, and last year during remote teaching, guess what they didn't have? They didn't have a lot of access to me. Um, like they would in a typical year, like they do this year. So I just, I'm wondering if maybe I'm giving them too much and if that's a common theme that other people have. So it's something that I'm sort of working with in my brain. Did, did that make sense to you, the way I just described that whole thing? Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I, I think we got to break this down. Like The first thing that you said that I had a strong opinion to is your kids doing wonderful last year. And I think that sometimes we forget that we're in a, very privileged district and uh, they have resources that other schools don't have and if correct me if i'm wrong but the ap scores are based on how others do like how other students in other areas do and i think that we would probably have an advantage there so that could be one of the the reasons behind that but going back to your other question is my tech-centric classroom too supportive i totally get that i mean think about it if you have everything that they need there, they don't have to do any type of research or they don't even have to dig deeper. They could watch your little hint or go to a resource, which you pointed out, and everything's right there for them. But I don't necessarily think that's bad depending on the course. You have AP Chem, we're missing school left and right. Kids are missing school left and right because of the new norm of being sick and having to stay out. Even if they don't have COVID, they have to stay out if they're showing symptoms. I mean, I got three little ones all in pre-K or kindergarten, and it's like we have to keep them home every other day because they have the sniffles and we're, we're scared of the sniffles now. I mean, rightfully so. I get all that. I'm just saying with this new obstacle that's presented to us, I feel like you need that extra support. I think there's times when you could say, hey, if you don't get this, I want you to dig a little deeper. Don't worry, we'll go over it later. But I think what you're doing is is probably supporting the greater good of your classroom. All right. It's it's supporting Johnny with special needs. It's it's supporting Sarah, who is, you know, gets ninety-nine percent of it, but that one percent, because they don't have to look at it. They don't need to look at your hints. It's just there as a safety net. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's so that's that's one of mine. And I appreciate your comments there because that makes a lot of sense. And I didn't didn't think about the, the score comparisons to other schools and, and maybe, you know, the, the tech supports that we're all using and take it away from me just as a larger issue. You know, those things, they're they're great. I don't think I want to get rid of those, but maybe just find a way then to, to keep them. But still still challenge your students and still have them, you know, growing and, and finding some ways to eventually work without those supports. So that's, that's one of mine for sure. Uh, what about you, man? Is there anything you've been thinking about a, a resolution that you want to kind of uh, figure out for the coming year? So last year, I believe if we go back and listen to it is 
I wanted to have our students become content creators. I want them to dive into that, get submerged in it and work their way through it. And we've done that this year, but now I want to build upon that because I think their experiences have been great. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback about the podcasting and uh, course that we created and all that. So what I'd like to do is take it a step further. So still working with content, it could be curriculum specific or it could be passion driven. It doesn't matter, but still working with some of the world ready schools or skills in our school, I'd I'd still like to take it a step further. And I want to find more real world experiences to challenge students. Uh, Right now, our podcasting is a lot of just uh, solo podcasts or podcasting with a partner. I think we could challenge students to have to go out into the real world and interview someone. So maybe it's over Zoom or StreamYard or uh, what we're using right now, Melon, which seems pretty awesome. This is a new tool to us. But I, I want to get students out of their comfort zone. And I keep mentioning this, but the further we push them out of their comfort zone, the more they have to fight to get back to the comfort zone. And that's where learning happens. So I want them to become an author, maybe write a kid's book, see that they could do it maybe create an app. These are just things in my head. I want them to be create content creators, but I want to push them further out of their comfort zone. That's a great one. I think we kind of have the same New Year's resolution if you think about it. I mean, you want to make sure kids get out of their comfort zone so they're learning to get back to it. And uh, it's kind of the same thing I was saying, just a different way. You know, my, all the supports that I built in kind of keeps them in a perpetual comfort zone, which is nice. But you got to have that other piece, too, where they're working to get back to it. So you can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at GotTech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. Hopefully those ideas resonate with you guys out there listening. And even if they don't, maybe it made you think a little bit in a new way about your classroom and some of the stuff you're doing. And I think this is a good time to start off our main segment for this episode, where, uh, of course, as we typically do sometime around the new year, we kind of just scoured the, the web and social media for some new resources for everybody, some things to start off the new year, 2022. I'll begin this by saying I am continually shocked. Uh, you would think after 102 episodes of, you know, educational technology themed podcasting, we would eventually find everything and talk about every tool, but it just doesn't stop. And I don't think it's ever going to stop. There's just so much out there between new things or you know, old things that have new components that we need to talk about or an old thing that we can use use a new way. It's never ending. So I was pretty pumped to find some cool new stuff out there that I had not heard of or some things that I had heard of, but I'm bringing back because they're new and improved. And I think we've got a pretty good list put together. So let's uh, let's kick it off. Do you maybe want to do one of yours first? Yeah, I can. I'll start with one that is so it, it's it would be great for elementary great for middle school, and I'm going to find a way to put it into my escape rooms. And this one's called color, Coloring Squared. And uh, basically what it is, and I'll, I'll put it in the simplest way possible, uh, you could do this by grade level, you could do it by books, you could do, there's so many different options that you have. But basically, in these boxes are math problems or something that they could solve in these boxes and as they solve it they have to 
color those squares a certain color. And as they color the different squares, different colors, it turns into a picture. There's superheroes, Harry Potter themed ones, Star Wars, Disney characters, villains, princesses, cartoons, video games, Nintendo, Fortnite, Pokemon. I mean, it has it all on here. So having my son go through his math problems using these color squares he's going to love it. I mean, he loves Pokemon right now. So he's, he's starting to get into super Nintendo a little bit with Legos. They have a new Lego thing out. That's phenomenal. But to put these pictures as backdrops, he, he loves his math facts, but he also loves being creative and artistic. Definitely got those traits from, you know, the artistic ones from his mother, you know, but, what I'm saying here is I think this is an awesome one because looking at it, it just looks like a bunch of math facts. But when you get down and you start coloring it, you could see this picture come to life. And I think, I think students would really dig this. So it's called coloring square.com. Yeah, that's really cool. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I've never heard of coloring squared and that is, I just checked it out as you were talking. And that is, that is a great tool. I'm going to rem remember that one for sure. Um, and I'll, I'll get into one of the ones that I've found. This is a, a website. We kind of group these loosely. Uh, so one of the websites that I pulled out was called uh, Bulb Digital Portfolios. Um, something that I'm toying around with and, and have been for a long time is, you know, alternative assessments. And of course, when you get into that land, portfolios always comes up and kind of letting students show their, their work and their, their, you know, the things that they have produced to show their their progress, which is of course a much more valuable thing to see than some you know that summative assessment at the end of a unit. It's better to see where they start, where they begin, and let them produce these these things and and collect them somewhere. So Bulb uh, does that in a digital portfolio way. So like a lot of tools out there right now, it's kind of a mix between the business world and the education world. Um, if you're in the business sector, then you might use something like Bulb to showcase yourself. Maybe put a resume up there, show some products that you've produced in other jobs. So your future employer gets to know you and a little bit about you. And of course, educators noticed this and kind of hopped on too. And we're like, hey, we could use that for our students. They're not making resumes and showing things that they've produced in their jobs, of course, but they can house work that they have completed to show that progress. And we're going to use this as a digital portfolio. So they have some examples on the website. If you go to bulbapp.com, you can check them out uh, from all grade levels. So younger kids, middle school students, high school, college, even teachers themselves. And it's kind of, I mean, it reminds me almost of like a little web page where you get to add these, these icons or these clickable things. And you can make these, these categories, whatever you like. So if you want to set it up where you know, one of the high school student examples they have is there's a little tab for each class. At the top, you get to put your picture in, in a banner that describes you. And then beneath that in these, I wish I knew, oh, I think they call them collections. Within each collection, you can just group your, your projects. So maybe by class or by topic or however you want. If, you know, I'm going to have students make one of these just for my chemistry class, then maybe each of the collections is a unit. And within that collection is where the student gets to put whatever they want. And it can be, they can link all kinds of stuff. 
They can link to web pages. They can include text. They can include images, videos, uh, really anything. That's one of the great sort of aspects of Bulb that I noticed is how they integrate with just about any platform you could want. And you can embed these things in the in this portfolio. And it looks really sharp. It looks really professional, which, of course, is always great. And the best part is, is it lets students showcase their work. They can, once they've created it, they can choose to keep it totally private and share only with you, the teacher. They can choose to share it out with the world. If that's something that's allowed for them in your school, in, in your classroom, you have to think about all that stuff, of course. But Bulb Digital Portfolios looks like a really great way to orchestrate this digital portfolio process, which is often really hard to do. There's lots of ways you can do it, and I think this is a, a sharp one to check out. So check it out. Yeah, Bob sounds amazing. I'm a big fan of digital portfolios, especially for AP courses or any type of course that has a big test at the end, a big assessment at the end, because it's a great way to not only – I mean, it doesn't have to be an individual person portfolio. You could do a class portfolio where everyone's working towards coming up with all these different resources to help you study for this big exam at the end. So I think uh, Bulb is an amazing resource. I'll go into my next one. It's called Lit Solutions. This one's for, I would say, upper end high school, so the AP courses, and also in college. All right, so we don't often talk about the college ones, but I wanted to look up some of the uh, AP books that we use in high school to see if I can, you know, get some resources there. This one's called Lit Solutions. And what you do is you look for a textbook. Now, if you're using a textbook from 2020, just published, 2021, 22 coming up, just published, more than likely it's probably not going to be in here for a little bit. All right. Uh, the, I see some from, 2020, I, I haven't really scoured enough to see if there's stuff in here from 2021. But what you do is I just looked up a random uh, mathematics book, okay? Basic college mathematics. And what it does is it brings up the, once you find the, the exact textbook that you're using, you go to whatever chapter you're working on, let's say 1.5. All right. And then in 1.5, there's a whole bunch of problems. Uh, and what you can do is you can select what problem you're working on. So I'm going to put 1E is the problem. And then what you do is you hit this button that says generate solution link. And then once that link is generated, you could go to that link and it's going to show you that problem and how to solve it exactly. So, I mean, this is one that I think is is pretty cool as well. Uh, so I have everything that I need here. And uh, all of a sudden, I have, after it plays a five-second ad, I have the answer to 1E. And all is great. So this is a great resource for those upper-level students as well as maybe some college students. We have some high school kids taking college courses nearby, maybe this is something that they can use. Man, that is, uh, <laughs> that is shockingly cool. I didn't, uh, again, I didn't know that thing was out there and what a, what an amazing resource for students to have access to. I'm going to probably, well, first I'm going to see if my the textbooks that I'm using in my chemistry classes are featured. 
And then if they are, that's a, a no brainer to share it with my students uh, to help them get some of that support I was just talking about. That's what a cool thing. LitSolutions.org. Love it. Um, my second website is kind of a repeat. We mentioned this in, in a few episodes back, more than a few actually, but um, it's a little extension from it. I'm talking about Google Arts and Culture. If you don't know about it, that's worth checking out just by itself. Uh, but one thing that they've added, I think they might have actually, I think they might have actually combined two kind of Google tools together. Um, something called Google Expeditions is now a part of Google Arts and Culture, and they call it Arts and Culture Expeditions. And the idea of this, and the idea of Google Arts and Culture in general, but this one especially, is really just virtual field trips where you take the sort of the Google Maps, that street view theme or that street view idea where you can see an image of any address, any place on any road that's been mapped via Google Maps and sort of click along to navigate down that street. This is great for travel and planning out where you're going to go and, and where to park and what you're going to see there and that kind of stuff. But it's also pretty cool because sometimes there's really neat stuff along these routes and Google has not only mapped roads and highways that can be a little bit boring, but things like, I don't know, uh, different trails and paths and coral reefs and the moon. And what a cool thing to to show your students, right? To kind of bring in some, some exploration of worlds that would just not be possible otherwise. So if you go to, if you go to the, you know, it's called Google Arts and Culture Expeditions. You can just search for that. Uh, we also have a link to it in the show notes. They've got some categories there. So you can choose a subject area where you want to see what is available. So science and technology. You can also explore all of the tours. I'm just going to go to all the tours right now and list some of the neat things they've got. So Framingham Castle, um, Isaac Pearl in the invention of the, the blimp. Uh, the trip to the moon in 1966, California State Parks, welcome to South Africa. Let me just go to the South Africa one. And when you click on one of these tours, it takes you through a series, you're scrolling down basically just a web page, but it's sort of within each pane of the site, within each section of the site is a little, little image and some text describing what you see there. And it's all, most of it at least, is embedded Google Maps, so you can click and kind of scan around. Like here, I'm looking at like a watering hole with some rhinoceroses, but I'm not just looking at it. I can zoom in, I can pan left, I can pan right, I can move left, move right, move back, move forwards, get close to the animals. And then I scroll down and it gives me some information on the white rhinoceros. And, and further down, I can see a different section of that watering hole where it gives me more information on the, you know, endangered aspect of the the rhinoceros species and it's sort of this really engaging learning experience that lets me look at a place that i would never be able to visit for this class i'm learning about endangered species in south africa and and rhinos in the meantime and it's just super cool and they have tons of these things i did one earlier prepping for this episode that was you know the moon landing and you can actually kind of click and zoom in around some of the, the pictures that were taken in that 1966 expedition. It's really awesome. And I, I didn't even mean to, but I, I learned a ton about, about that expedition. And that's kind of what you want for your students, too. So check out Google Arts and Culture, but definitely check out Arts and Culture Expeditions. These things are awesome. And I think your students are going to have a great time exploring them. 
So I'm going to definitely put that one on my back burner for now. But if we get into remote teaching, I think this is a great way to get students submerged in the content. Uh, I might have it as a, you know, additional resource for students, or I might use it as a homework. I, I don't really do the whole homework thing, but maybe this is something that they can check out in order to prep for an episode because we do have podcasting with endangered species coming up. We we do have certain topics that will fit into these different content models. And I think just having that as a way for students to get a understanding of something that they can't go out and experience is pretty amazing. So let's get into my next one. Actually, next ones. Uh, what I did is I grouped it and it kind of goes along with my New Year's resolution at pushing students outside of their comfort zone. And I said that I wanted them to make their own apps. Uh, and what I did is I went out and I want to find resources and I want to basically figure out how I can support my students and I could show them how easy it is to create an app without needing to use any type of special coding. So what I did is I can, I, I made a list of four different uh, ed tech tools that will help them do that. The first one I really like, it's called Adalo, A-D-A-L-O. And Adalo is a no coding app. Basically it's a drag and drop. Uh, it shows you what your app's gonna look like along the way. You could add pictures, you could add, you can make menus, things like that. It's super easy to use. I'm looking at another one where it's a, a fitness workout. And they made a fitness workout uh, into an app. So if your school is part of CrossFit or if your wellness teachers or gym teachers are, they want their students to go through a, a training program, they can make it on an app. Or maybe the students can make their own and uh, easily push it out because it's a bunch of pictures. They could put, you know, four reps or four sets, 10 reps, things like that, and throw that out there. But it's super easy to use. That's the biggest thing. I mean, you don't need to code. It's drag and drop. So Adalo is definitely up there for one to check out. Another one that I've heard about is GlideApps.com. Uh, Glide apps is another drag and drop, no code. All these are no coding necessary. Uh, Bubble.io is another one. And a new one that I just saw that came out is called AppSheet. AppSheet. And this, I believe, is an add-on um, to Sheets that you could throw in there. Uh, but... They say the intelligent no-code platform reclaim your time and talent with no-code apps and automation. You can start for free. So this one is pretty cool as well. I would definitely check out AppSheet as well. That's a, a great list. And it, for me, this is kind of a, a collection of things that, let me put it this way, you know, teachers always end up figuring out how to use things like this. And we've, we've learned so much in education about technology and are bringing it into the classroom in so many awesome ways. There's still some, some things out there that we haven't mastered because it's probably too challenging or takes way too much time, which we don't have. One of those is coding. And in particular, 
building your own apps. You know what I mean? Teachers are building their own websites. They're building their own online textbooks. They're building their own everything. Not a whole lot of teachers building their own apps. And I think that's because of time and, and, and need really, why would I, why would I need to do that? What is that investment worth? But maybe with tools like this, where there's sort of that shortcut workaround, like, you know, Google sites makes building a website really easy. You don't have to learn HTML to do that. Maybe this is a thing that's going to sort of change education in a way is building your own app. And if nothing else, what a really cool experience, like you said, for your students to get involved in and you don't have to know how to code to do it. So this is a, this is a really great. So something that I just thought of on the fly is we love doing these scavenger hunts, right? And there are tools out there that make doing scavenger hunts easy, but most of them come with a price tag. I'm pretty sure we could probably turn in one of these scavenger hunts into an app and just push it out that way. I mean, you don't need to launch it on, on Apple or or uh, the Android store, even though you can with most of these uh, programs that I mentioned before. You could just make this app. It doesn't need to be published anywhere fancy, and you can go out and and push this out to your students and let them have a good time, and it's there for you to use year after year. Uh, yeah, well, that's I was as I was explaining, you know, teachers using apps. I was trying to think in my head, you know, what could I possibly use that for? That's an amazing idea. You know, build your app for your scavenger hunt or for some game that you play. Uh, for you know that you always kind of have to run in class or maybe over a Google site. What what an awesome idea! So this is a this is a huge world, maybe an untapped world, maybe maybe you know silly, maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I'm super excited about it. And I'm glad that there's things like this out there for us to use. So what an awesome list. I'm going to check some of those out for sure. Um, the next one from, I'm jumping into a different category now. So I found a couple websites. I just talked about those. I found a couple tools, which is a general term, really apps, extensions, whatever you want. I believe both of these are uh, apps largely. So the first one is one of my favorites and I have brought it up in a recent episode. It's called Explain Everything Interactive Whiteboard. I'm bringing it up a lot because I love it that much. And I think uh, there's just so much to learn about it. And there's something new that I just learned about interactive whiteboard. Uh, explain everything. So let me first start with what it is. If it's new to you guys, uh, if you can imagine a whiteboard that's on your phone or, you know, your Chromebook, anything with a touchscreen and you can write on it with your, you know, a stylus or your finger, and then it records that while you narrate over top. That's the, the gist of it. And that's how it started years ago, but it's, it's grown so much in that it's not just a whiteboard anymore because in that whiteboard space, and they call it an infinite whiteboard space, mind you. So if you fill up your phone's screen with writing and you're like, well, what do I do now? It's all filled with writing. You just zoom out and then there's a whole bunch of new whiteboard space. And you can, if you don't want to zoom, you can move to the left, move to the right. And it's literally a never-ending whiteboard space for all of these things you want to write down. So that's part of it. Uh, you can embed videos on the whiteboard space, pictures, GIFs, text. Uh, really, I mean, sky's the limit now with these really interactive whiteboards that are becoming, you know, basically a screencast recorded video, super engaging. And, and really easy because what are we doing? A lot of the, you know, the classical teacher is up there talking and writing on a whiteboard 
or a chalkboard while your students are, are, are watching. We can just do that now in this very engaging kind of style. And the new thing that I just noticed about it, which caused me to add it to today's episode is uh, collaborative whiteboard spaces. I, I think similar to some of the other ones that we've featured on past episodes where you can send students there with a code. They enter that code and it's right on their main page, super obvious, easy to find. And that joins them to a whiteboard space with all these available features, but now it's collaborative to be written upon by you and another student who you're working with remotely, or you and a class of students who you're working with remotely, or you and a class of students who are all together in the same room. And I just think that that's really, really awesome. It, I'm not saying it's a new aspect to explain everything, but it's new to me and it got me really excited. So I wanted to make sure to share that today and add it to the sort of never ending list of things that I think make this tool fantastic. So go check it out if you have not done so already. Yeah, Explain Everything is pretty amazing. It is one of the tools that we have on Maya Tech Bundle that you can get an extended trial for. So you definitely want to check that out. If you're watching us live right now, I will um, throw the little banner on the bottom where it will tell you how to get that tool. Uh, we'll go into my next one. Uh, this is also in the tools, apps, extensions, etc. category. And you can find this one at tools.techjunkie.com. And tools.techjunkie.com is going to take you and transfer you to a site called Tiny Wow. And basically, this site has a lot of different tools that you can use. Just the other day, a teacher came up and asked me, if I don't have Acrobat, Adobe Acrobat, tell me how to split a PDF. Well, guess what? TinyWell does that. How do you merge a PDF? TinyWell does that as well. Can we compress or protect a PDF? Yes, we can. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. A lot of times when I scan in uh, documents into our copier and I turn it into a PDF, uh, I have them turned the wrong way. Well, TinyWow allows you to rotate the PDF. We can go from Word to a PDF. We can e-sign a PDF. I know, Nick, you e-sign a lot of things, a lot of PDFs using something else, but it's here. If you want to go from PDF to a picture, such as a JPEG, you can do that. You can extract images within a PDF. There are so many different things. We can make our PowerPoint a PDF. Uh, it gets into videos where we can trim videos. So you have this extra long video, or maybe you just want a tiny one minute uh, clip of a video. You could do that in here. Uh, sometimes when I'm shooting video and I wanna bring it in and share it with people, my kids are yelling stuff in the background. Well, if I don't need the, the audio of that, you could easily mute the video um, within that video, and then after you're done muting it, you can download it with that muted space there. You could turn a video into a GIF. I mean, there's just so many things here. Uh, hike files with the uh, iPhones, if you wanna switch those to JPEGs, that has that. So this is like a one-stop shop for really any type of conversion you want, XML to Excel, CSV to XML, 
CSV to Excel. There's a meme maker, uh, URL to PNG. I mean, just so much here that you can work with and it's free and they're online. So check out tinywild.com or the, uh, the link that I put in the show notes. You know, as a, a tech coach, one of the other roles that both of us serve at school, we get a lot of questions from teachers about how do you turn, you know, this Google Doc into a PDF or this PDF, how do I edit that? And people are confused about all these different conversions. How do I combine two PDFs into one PDF? This really is a one-stop shop at tinywild.com. And there's there are there is so much here. Um, even weird stuff. I'm not sure how I would use this as a teacher, but they have a URL tracer. So you can put in a URL and view all of the redirects that it takes. Uh, a URL to PNG, that one's kind of cool. So put in a web address and it turns the entire website into an image that you can use, a meme maker. Sorry if you mentioned some of these already. I was just trying to process through all this stuff. A lot of these things are file types I don't even recognize. And I'm only saying that just to share how many different types of conversions are here. That is a very, very cool resource uh, for teachers and, and also all the more tech-centric people out there are definitely going to want to check that out. Um, the next one that I've got, and it's another app for me, it's called the World Brush App and sort of another one of these spaces that educators have just really skimmed the surface of. You know, we've already mentioned creating your own apps. Another one of these is augmented and virtual reality. I'm seeing that become larger and more accessible as things become available to us and these products get cheaper and, and free in some cases. This is a really great one. It's augmented reality. So using a phone or an iPad, you can add things to the world around you as seen through the, the camera and then eventually the screen of the phone or whatever the tool is. Uh, but you can basically paint on it in 3D. So for me, I saw this, you know, first and foremost, it's really cool. Secondly, it's kind of a replacement for this thing that we've been cycling through for years now, you know, for us in, in teaching science a lot of the times. If you just wanted to change it up and instead of having kids sit there and work on a worksheet, um, certain types of problem solving or creating models or diagrams, or whatever it might be, you know, years ago when I started teaching, we would get a big box of sidewalk chalk on a sunny day and you go outside and every kid gets a square of sidewalk and that's where they show their work or create their model. And you run your class outside and it's kind of a neat gimmick to, you know, increase focus and just be outside, which is always a better learning space. And then for a while we, we changed that over and instead they were writing on their desks with these like chalk markers. And that was cool because we're writing on the desks and that's a, a different twist on it. And it's a, a collaborative space really because you're writing, it's big and colorful and it's different and fun. Um, a different way now to expand on it even further is augmented reality. Instead of writing with something physical, you are writing in this augmented reality app and the benefit here is that it finally becomes three-dimensional, which for me, at least in chemistry, and I think every subject area has an application for this, a lot of the times we're thinking and visualizing in three dimensions. If you're describing a molecule, one of the main things you do is talk about its, its shape. And a lot of those shapes are things like tetrahedrons, which is like a little camera tripod shape. That's three-dimensional, and it's hard to visualize that for some students and especially drawing it on a flat piece of paper. But 
now we're not bound by that flat piece of paper. So today we're going to show our molecule shapes using World Brush app. I need everybody to download it or you do that the night before, whatever, however you want to set it up. And then they come in ready to go. And you can check those out and share them. And on top of all that, it's just a really neat thing to, to do and use. And it's for sure going to capture their attention. So that's just kind of the first thing that popped into my head. And the possibilities are endless there. But you're going to want to check it out. It's just also kind of fun to do. So World Brush app. It's one of my faves. I can see why you like that one. Being the artistic guy that you are, um, I could see how you could easily fall into that one. It's probably another one that you're going to be on your couch and you're going to be playing with it for a while. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. My next one is called Scribble Maps. Uh, I've been getting a lot of questions about how to annotate maps easily and how to work with data within maps. Uh, so Scribble Maps does that. Uh, it allows you to, it's embedded with Google, or you can embed it with Google, Microsoft, whatever you want. Um, so if you're working with a Google Sheet and say you have addresses of different coffee places within the area. And the reason why I'm using this one is because I had a business teacher email me asking me if there's a way that students, they want students to come up with a business plan. And part of the business plan is to, uh, find a location for their business. So they can't just uh, drop and say, I want that location. Uh, they have to do research and they have to justify why that location is the best location for their coffee shop or, I don't know, doctor practice. So what they would do is they would implement all the different addresses of the coffee shops nearby. Uh, and then they would also use the different roads that are around there and the traffic patterns and things like that uh, to say that this is a great spot for their coffee shop. And using Scribble Maps, it allows you to really overlay different icons on top of maps. If you're using the addresses of coffee shops and you have the physical map there, what it will do is it will overlap those icons on top of the map. So it's visually represented in a way that it's easy to see and you can see that this is the only coffee shop for five square miles or whatever it may be and it's next to interstate 95 or something along those lines so it allows students to justify their their answer within this specific context but i mean when we think about it we could use it in history classes uh reenacting different battles think the battles of Gettysburg at Gettysburg, you could use it there. There are several different applications for this. And I think it's uh, one that you would want to check out if this is a niche that fits your needs. Yeah, I love I love that one. It's one of my my favorite tools out there. And it's uh, kind of connected to some of the other stuff we're featuring today, which is always extra neat for me. Uh, so I'm glad you brought it up. My next one, I just put it in the other category because I'm no, I wasn't really sure what to call these last couple tools that I've got. So uh, it's called uh, bit.ai. That's the URL that you'll go to. It's also, of course, linked in the show notes. But I'm going to pitch this to everybody sort of if you've ever used or I'm assuming we've all used at this point Google Docs, right? And Google Docs is great and amazing and can do so many things and solves so many issues that teachers have. But it does have some limitations. 
Um, one of the ones that I've been running into recently is I use Google Docs for interactive worksheets for my students and I can put put in links to other places, but you can't always embed everything you want in a Google Doc. I, can, I can't put in a video. I can put in pictures and GIFs. You can't embed videos, so I have to link to the video, which is fine. But sometimes it would be kind of cool if it was a little bit more interactive and engaging directly in the doc itself so kids don't have to be clicking off and on the page. Um, so if you've run into stuff like this or you just want to try something different than your typical Google Doc, then bit.ai is that alternative. So it's, you know, I think about it and they describe themselves as like the next level of this collaborative workspace word processing document. Uh, the, and the big difference being that you can pretty much any content you can think of, any web-based content at all, you can add it into this bit.ai document. So that includes GIFs, of course, file attachments, of course, videos right in the document itself. Uh, if you have blocks of code that are maybe going to link to some type of a simulation, something the students can manipulate, that goes directly into the, the bit. That's what they call them uh, itself. Tables, rich tables that actually run formulas and calculations that, so you don't have to go to a whole separate Google Sheet. The table and everything connected to it is directly in the bit. Um, equations that function and calculate things. Cloud files, and they integrate with, with any platform. They list them all, but I mean, it, if you're on some sort of a cloud file sharing service, Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, you name it, it these things integrate with all of those services. Um, they even say, and I don't know how this works, so don't ask me, but it sounds cool. They even integrate with social media, Instagram, Twitter. I don't know what that means, but there's probably some cool application for it. It really is. this. It's, it's a next level document sharing platform, and I have not used it yet because there's just so much to explore, but I think I'm finally ready to kind of dip my toe in the water with one of these. Um, if, and I'm just going to start with, you know, embedding some videos because I don't want to keep sending kids back and forth to different websites. And now it's all going to be in one spot for them. And I'm going to see how it goes and, and report back once I can, uh, tell everybody how it went, but I think it looks pretty awesome. Bit.ai. Yeah. I was just looking at it. They just released their Epic 2.0 version, which looks pretty solid to me. Uh, I, I do think that's a great way, especially on certain projects that Google Docs just doesn't meet the needs. You might want to try this for just that 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 video uh, landing spot. And it looks like you can embed some of this stuff. So I wonder if you could take one of these bit.ai uh, platform pieces and put it on your website or something like that, which would be really cool. Yeah. All right, let's get into my next one. And this is my first one in the other category. And this is kind of more of the lighthearted self. And that's not really lighthearted. It's, it's kind of the opposite of that because it's the EdTech Graveyard site. So basically, um, I'll have the, the link in the show notes, uh, which is bit.ly forward slash EdTech dash RIP. And when you go here, it says Nick's picks for educational technology. Um, but just keep in mind, this isn't our Nick. This is a another Nick. And here's the 
EdTech graveyard where you could see some of our favorite ones. Like, I don't, I don't know if you remember Flip Quiz, which was like the the Jeopardy for teachers uh, version. I remember that one. I'm just going through these. It has uh, Google Expeditions and Google Tour Creator, but you mentioned earlier that that kind of got uh, woven into uh, arts and culture. There are some other ones. I mean, if you had one that you really like, this is a good kind of remembrance of the ed tech tools that we once used. But one thing I, I could use this for is when my students are making their apps, I would tell them to go on here and kind of investigate one and see why it's no longer there. Why is that ed tech tool not with us anymore? Is it because the solution went away? Is it because they just collapsed? Like what, it, what is it that made this no longer there and tell them that when they're making their app, make sure they stay away from that. But I, I just think this is a neat site to kind of remember some of our ed tech tools that we want to use that we no longer use. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's funny too. It's sort of a, a, a clever take on ed tech is to look back at all the ones that aren't here anymore, but could be a great learning experience too. I like that angle on it. It's definitely uh, worth a, a scroll through to check out. And that leads me to my final selection of the episode. Um, it's called equitymaps.com. Equity Maps, if you don't know, is a way to, and let's stay away from the website, just an equity map in general or a discussion map. There's a ton of names for them if you know of something different. Uh, you know, years ago, we did one of these on paper where you kind of have all the students sit in a circle, like at a Harkness table or something, and you mark out where everybody is. And as a student speaks in the, you know, prompt a response from another student, you draw a line to connect those two students. And by the time you're done, it's this map of lines and it kind of shows you who's who's talking the most, right? It, it's a map of who's running the discussion, who's contributing the most, who's not contributing. And it's a really valuable tool as, as a teacher to sort of see this and to help your students be better at this process of discussing and, you know, discussing in order to learn things is even harder. Um, but equitymaps.com and they have a, a new brand new app, an iPad app, which I think has been really great for a lot of teachers. It does that for you. It makes it really easy and then builds in with that data that it collects like tons of other analysis tools to help you understand that discussion and get feedback to your students about ways that they can improve. So it's going to create that same map for you, but it's going to do it digitally, uh, automatically and way faster so you can see exactly who's speaking. You don't need a subscription for this. It can do up to 40 participants at a time, which is, you know, beyond uh, bigger than any class that I can think of. Um, once you're done, some of the data that you'll get are the time spoken by each student, uh, both quantity of time and number of times, which is pretty cool. Um, you can listen back to the entire discussion. So it records it. You can also listen by student. So it's going to collect all the, the voice elements per student. So you can just play those back, which I think is really cool and unique. And what a great, I mean, just that itself to bring a student up and do a little conference and play back the things that they said and just have them listen to it and say, what do you think about that? What could you, what does this tell you did well? What does this tell you did we could improve upon for next time. What a, what a great thing. Um, 
even more complex stuff like tracking the types of contributions that groups made or groups of students made or individuals made. It's just really, really invaluable stuff. Um, and they've got all of this data can be presented in all sorts of fancy pie charts. And you can see that just by going to equitymaps.com and checking it out. The students can choose little, you know, personalized identity markers to represent themselves however they want on this map. So, you know, if, you've, if you're doing Socratic seminars or spider web discussions, they call them uh, lit circles, you know, Harkness discussions I mentioned already. Um, PLCs, maybe just your teacher, you know, you're teaching PLC. This could be a really cool thing. Uh, planning sessions, all kinds of stuff. They even say for coaches, you can do this for that coaches meeting where you're kind of sitting with uh, with the team and, and reviewing footage. It's just a super engaging way to run a discussion and get a snapshot of what that discussion was like. So I think this is huge. I don't do a lot of discussions because of what I teach, but I need to do more, and I think this is uh, a great way to help people like me get into it and get and make it super valuable. So check out EquityMaps.com, everybody. It's a, it's a great one. Yeah, I, I've seen teachers use paper plates, round paper plates, uh, the ones that have like the little indents the whole way around, and every indent they would put a different student in there, and it would make a web because every time someone talked. Uh, they would connect it. I think this takes it to the next level because it allows you to revisit what the students say. And this would have been perfect for my bioethics class when we did all our debating. Or if you run a debate team out there, this would be great, especially when you're practicing before going out to a competition. This will allow students to all do their debates at the same time, but then you could go pick those uh, debates apart and be like, hey, this would have scored this way this would have scored that way so you know not just in the class but some of our uh after school activities as well could be used with equity maps so i have two more i'm going to make them pretty quick uh the first one is an app on the iphone uh that i've been using lately just because uh, i find myself um when my son is at a sporting practice that i i am not the coach of uh, sometimes I'm just there uh, and they don't allow us to go in uh, to practice areas, especially if they're indoors because of the COVID situation. I could do some stuff on my phone. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to remove backgrounds. That way I could use pictures that I've taken without the backgrounds of objects there uh, for later use. And pixelcut.app, you can go check it out. It's available for uh, both Google or the Android store and Apple store. Uh, but you could go there, download it, and you can take a picture of anything and remove the background right there. And then you can use that photo later on. So it's it's a super easy tool to use in that case. And that's really the only thing I use it for. Uh, other applications of this is if you're if you have some type of an online store, uh, you can make ads for your business, and you can also make product photos pretty pretty easily. Um, and you can edit multiple photos at the same time. So if you had a, you took a picture of something, and you want to give it four different background colors, you can easily do that. So uh, that is pixelcut.app. And then finally, my last one is grasp. I'm not going to be able to say this, but graspable <laughs> math. 
graspable math and the link will be in the show notes but this is all about algebra so if you teach algebra this is one for you and i'm telling you i love this all right so let's take the math problem 2x plus 1 equals 4. what this tool allows you to do is you know you take a portion of that equation you could drag it to the other side of the equal sign so 2x plus 1 equals 4 you can click on the plus one and move it to the other side of the equal sign and it shows you what happens. It shows you that that one becomes negative. So it's it becomes 2x equals four minus one. Well, then you could drag that one over top of the four and realize that four minus one equals three. So it's going to be 2x equals three. And then you will take the two and you will drag it to the other side. So it's uh, 2x over 2 equals uh, 3 over 2. So when you do that, the, the denominator goes away. So it's x equals 3 over 2. You can simplify that to x equals 1.5. And all this is by just students clicking numbers, dragging them to the opposite side, and seeing what happens. And now that uh, impacts that equation until you get the answer. So it's super cool. This is a this is something for those uh, students that need the visualization of the problem. And this is going to do that very, very easily. This is graspablemath.com. Yeah, this is great, man. This is this was missing for me in my math classes because I, I was like, okay at math, but it was always my weakest thing. And, you know, the, the ability to see it, we're, we're basically talking, it's like math simulations. Like if writing down the numbers doesn't make sense to you. How about if you can turn them into something tangible and kind of just play around with it? This is uh, a really fantastic tool. And, and I agree with you. I love it. And I also love this episode because we featured some really amazing things here, some different things, some new things, some old things with new things that are a part of them. And I think that kind of wraps it up. So I hope everybody enjoyed this one. close it out like we always do by asking you to do us three favors subscribe of course on apple is the main one but really anywhere spotify google podcast stitcher youtube even where we post a lot of stuff follow us on twitter i am at nick got teched guys is at guys got teched and of course the show at we got teched we've even got uh, a facebook page which we don't do a whole lot but i'm starting to throw up some you know episode promos there too so you can check us out on facebook as well uh, reviewing is even better. We're starting to get a couple more reviews. So thank you to those of you out there taking a few minutes out of your day to do that. And most importantly, do not forget to tell your friends and let teachers know that there are teacher-based podcasts and you can learn a lot. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.